Welcome to Startup Confidential. What food and beverage industry players will never tell you that you need to know if you're running a startup. Let's do this. Welcome to Episode 4 of Founder's Confession, featuring Jason Burke, founder of The New Primal. Thank you, Jason, for joining us today. How is the grind at New Primal? You know, the grind is ongoing. But what I would say is, you know, this is going on seven years. Later this year will be our seventh year full time. I think we're into the race. You know, the flywheel is moving. And now it's it's keeping up with that flywheel in motion instead of this picture of rolling a boulder uphill. We at least like to believe that we're past that phase in, in the business. But, you know, it doesn't mean that every day doesn't present its own set of challenges. Sure, sure. So thank you again for being brave enough to come on this podcast, uh, (laughs) because this is my equivalent of the ice bucket challenge. Love it. Uh, For entrepreneurs, you just discovered that right now. Um, so, (laughs) So I would love to take you back in time to the first half, that grind towards the first half a million or so in annualized sales when you're really new. Take your mind back there if you can, because I think listeners would like to know one thing first, which was what's the biggest avoidable mistake you made early on at that time that you want folks to know about and what can they do to avoid it? Sure. I don't mind being transparent here. That took about 18 months to sort of go from zero to 500,000 in annualized sales. What I would do differently, and what's really interesting is we were doing a little bit of an office clean out and I was going through some old you know, memorabilia just last week. So this is fresh on my mind. So this is actually a, a really <laughs> good topic to discuss. The answer to your question beyond e-commerce, because I think that one of the mistakes or one of the things I would do differently if I could start over would be I would leverage e-commerce as a stronger foundation before I launched into retail. For me, that would be like one of the very first things I did, just simply because we always treated that as a a stepchild in our business. And I think that was a mistake for us. But beyond that, I would be much more focused about the channels that we sell our products through and the geographies where we sell our products first. We went really wide, pretty fast. You know, one of the easy holes to fall into that early on is, you know, you're just trying to get traction anywhere you can get it. We're on the East Coast. We're in the Southeast. I was selling to accounts in Northern California, almost out of the gate, you know, just as an example, going very wide as far as I can. And I really didn't care which channel, if it was conventional grocery or if it was natural grocery or if, you know, if I could get a meeting with Costco, it didn't matter. Whoever would give me a meeting, I would go and just pitch my product to. And so that number one is it takes your eye off the ball. And I think early on and not even today, I mean, cash is always king. And so I think the wider you go, whether that be on skew count or points of distribution outside of your primary geography or channels, all puts unnecessary strings on cash. And so if I could do it over again, I would pick a region and I would pick a channel to focus on first. So I'm here in South Carolina, but we're going to start over from scratch. I've established a really strong e-commerce presence. But beyond that, I focus my efforts on the, the natural channel in the Southeast before I you know, made one phone call outside of this region. You just hit on something that isn't discussed nearly as much, and that's having a focused set of UPCs for quite a while. And I, I preach that constantly, and because I've seen it in the data as well. But I think you hit on the operational reality of if you let your creativity, your product development get out of control, you're throwing money away, but you're also distracting yourself. 100%, wow. because it's got this huge 
and look, you know, as entrepreneurs, that's what we do. We have lots of ideas. We have great ideas. Right. All, you know, I'm not short on an entire pipeline of innovation. And in fact, even for a company my size, we have, you know, I've argued that we're probably over skewed even today. But back then, we certainly could have experienced a little less pain <laughs> along the way if we had had a focus on, you know, which SKUs to start with and which ones we're going to hold on to. You know, maybe we've got the innovation ready, but you hold on to those until the timing is right or until the, the, the now, cash you, is stronger. Jason, were you able to, did you lose some of those initial accounts by going too fast, too broadly? For sure. Okay. 100%. Yeah, yeah, totally. You can't focus on them. You can't support them. You lose sight. How can I go and, you know, demo my product in Northern California as a, you know, a sub $500,000 <laughs> a year company, you know, and, and, <laughs> You can't. And so to properly support it, to grow enough brand equity, I think that, yeah. yeah and I think you guys probably did well because you were adding accounts to make to up make for that. that. But it, a lot of people are not that lucky in my experience. Right. And so you the know, business was, can end. Uh, totally. And, and I think it's a huge <laughs> pitfall. Fortunately for us, I would say if we had one strength in the early years, it was our ability to sell. I have a sales background and yeah. we were just focused on selling. And I had, you know, we had someone here helping us with operations and our, our operations manager kept saying, you know, focus, focus, focus. And we kept selling and you know, saying, you know, sales are good. Sales are good. You know, balancing that as an early stage entrepreneur, I think is one of the most difficult things to deal with. You're most vulnerable to not being disciplined early on because you have these rose-colored glasses on of all of this, you know, entrepreneurial optimism, rightfully so in many cases. You probably have a great idea and all of this, but I think that if you have to balance that with channel discipline and geography discipline in order to preserve enough bandwidth and capital to give that canvas time to marinate. And so I, I think that you have your best chance at success by starting with a focused region, a focused channel strategy, being very intentional about that than if you just sort of take every meeting and call on every account that will potentially listen. Yeah, and I think you've hit on something that I've sensed too in the last two, three years, talking to hundreds and hundreds of entrepreneurs, which is the, the initial product development can take years, especially if it's done right. People are so exhausted at that point that they just want the income coming in. Yep. And I totally, you know, I would say five years ago, I didn't understand that myself as an advisor. And now I get it. I mean, I just had a call with someone where I had spent four years on the product, but she has 7% gross margins. I told her, you don't have a business. You need to, you need to start again. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, I, well, I, I thought she was going to scream at me on the phone. But she was like, a lot of these time constraints are just self-imposed. Like we need to be here yeah. in two years. Well, maybe you don't. Maybe you just enjoy the journey and then enjoy the opportunity to grow. And I think that it's okay to have a sense of urgency, but I think some of these time constraints that we put on ourselves also affect our ability to, again, be intentional and see clearly. Well, I do agree. And I, I think the, sometimes the media narration of some of these case studies conveniently leaves off the first seven years. <laughs> when you yeah. drink too much coffee and read them too fast, it's, it appears like the guy was, he just appeared and he has 10 million rays. Yeah. And no, and, he, and, and the experience, <laughs> even our brand, I was talking to a, a buddy of mine in the industry a few weeks ago at Expo West. And by the end of this year, we'll have, and again, this is not the case study, the model here for a sub $500,000 company. But, you know, by the end of this year, we'll have 27 SKUs on the global Whole Foods Planogram. Wow. Um, that's seven years, though. I mean, right? Seven and a <laughs> half years. And we're still very much flying under the radar. You know, he said, you know, how do you have that many SKUs? And you're still sort of under the radar. And so, yeah, that's, I think that'll happen. You know, people will look up one day and go, man, where did they come from? And it's like, well, we grinded it out for this many years. And then we chased the boulder downhill for this many years. And yep. we fumbled our way through and we finally figured it out. It took us a decade, but we figured it out. <laughs> 
You've been listening to Startup Confidential. If you'd like more in-depth content from James, please sign up for his free monthly white papers by emailing him directly at james at premiumgrowthsolutions.com.